It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Well, hello and welcome once again. We're going a little bit earlier than normal this week due to everybody's schedule. Uh, It is J.C. and Morgan recording this on a late Monday afternoon and hope you are doing well mike morgan of espn sec network jc sherbert 24 7 sports bigspur.com michael haney back in the music city of musical fame and longtime sports talk show producer and co-host all three of us sitting in front of a computer looking at a zoom screen uh michael with the one unique background going going simpsons background I didn't even know. I knew you could do this because I've seen other people do it. I just don't know how to do it. So I have the same boring background whenever I'm on a Zoom call. Uh, JC has his background, same one every time. Michael, of course, ahead of us because he's just that cool. Welcome, everybody. Hope everybody's weekend was well. Yeah, I think that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me, Mike. I appreciate it. (laughs) It's all downhill from here. So please soak that all in. Yeah, pretty good weekend watching watching football again. Had a a junior varsity type ish game to go to early in the morning. Uh, came back, watched South Carolina get their teeth kicked in. Uh, watched a lot of other teams get their key, teeth kicked in, and watched a, a few surprising results. So, uh, all in all, it's a good weekend for yours truly. Yeah, watched a lot of games. The game that I was calling was at night, so watched a lot of the uh early games and you know everybody was painting this weekend as kind of a a letdown weekend on the schedule but that's always when when crazy things happen and of course the Appalachian State Hail Mary uh to win it uh that was a highlight it just goes to show you though first off kudos to uh everybody in Boone like I said before one of the um first games I did for ESPN was in 2009 a playoff game when they were a one double a power and it was my first trip there and it was just incredible i loved everything about it i loved the town i loved the fan base i loved the vibe and all that was on full display on saturday for game day and keep in mind if texas a&m doesn't lose the the week before game day never comes to boone that they were going to go to college station but that paved the way for boone and quite frankly we already know how great college station is and game day's been there before it was cool to see something new for a lot of people that haven't been there and haven't experienced that i I didn't even ask you guys have you guys been to boone have you ever been to boone for a game i have not you jc never never been for a game uh went uh skiing when i was a kid in banner elk north carolina which is uh, close to boone and uh right pretty good uh pretty good place to eat up there when i was a guy if it's still there or daniel boone's house or something it's it's a anyway i just remember they put biscuits on the table and i enjoyed that biscuits and muskets uh as it were yeah i I remember we went to the uh the crew went to a place called the peddler which was a steakhouse and you know they they bring it out on the little cart and they get to see the meat before they cook Uh, it you don't know the peddler is that a chain it it it, well it it, it was in upstate south carolina where i grew up like that oh i didn't know that like if you wanted to get that good steak in spartanburg growing up you went to either Spartanburg, South Carolina. <clears throat> I forget we have a, a, a national audience here. Uh, you went to the Peddler or you went to Steak and Ale. 
Well, I, the the peddler definitely trumps steak and ale. I grew up going to steak and ale when I was a kid in Virginia and Florida, and steak and ale was was okay, but it was nothing like the peddler. Uh, the peddler was that was pretty uh, fine dining. I'm assuming that's still there. If it is, please uh, ship the three of us a free steak for the plug. But um, uh, it, it, it yeah, it's just a it's a really cool spot. And a friend of mine's a graduate there. He would always tell me, Mike, if you ever got a chance, if you ever got a chance, honestly, I probably never would have done it had I not been there on a work capacity. But but they got to they got to really show things off. But it it would have been so buzzkill to then lose at Troy. But here's what I'll say about that. And I'm I'm gonna get a chance to brag about the Sun Belt uh Thursday night. I've got Coastal Carolina, Georgia State, which I'm very excited about because it's it's a great matchup it'll be a competitive game those two have become kind of rivals here in what's now the sun belt the fun belt the stun belt if you will with the four upsets they already have over power five troy is not one of the better teams in the league this year they've certainly been good in the past demarcus ware among others great players that have come out of there that that league is so deep right now and is so good top to bottom that we shouldn't be that shocked that it wasn't a gimme for appalachian state uh, and App State's in the same division as Coastal Carolina and Georgia State and Marshall, who beat Notre Dame, and Old Dominion, who beat Virginia Tech, and James Madison, who was a 1AA power, and Georgia Southern, who beat Nebraska. Like that. All those teams are in the same division in the Sun Belt. Um, again, that is your new Power Six. It's not the American, which is about to be majorly depleted. So I, I enjoyed that aspect. I enjoyed some of the early games. Uh you know, you mentioned mother Jordan. meatballs, right? That's a that's a call. You gonna ever work that into a call there, Mike? Which From, one? Uh, uh, Holy mother meatballs. That was the the, the Appalachian State student play by play guy. I did not hear. No, so I heard the radio heard and the one, TV yeah. called. Yeah. I did not. I didn't hear the student radio call. Yeah, okay, ASU uh, Jeffrey Marson uh, had the Holy Mother Meatballs. Appalachian State wins. Holy he, uh, Mother Meatballs. You know he, what? He I will, the professional guys with the the most original call. I will take that over. Are you kidding me? Like we have to just put a moratorium on. Are you kidding me? Let's just assume that what you saw was real, and nobody's kidding you. That's been used. It's been beaten to death. I'm not saying I never used it. I probably used it ten years ago when I thought it was fresh and it just kind of popped into my head. But now I make a conscious decision to not say the words, are you kidding me? Um, but yeah, no, it's great. It, it's, it's, it's what we love about college football. Then you had some other, um, you know, sneaky, good games, Michael, you picked, and we'll get to the, we'll get to the picks later. I, I did something of an aptitude that I haven't done in a long, long time. Uh, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. So naturally uh, we're going to focus on it. Yeah. Um, but you picked the hardest games to pick because there were some sneaky good games that were difficult to pick. I thought Mississippi State would beat LSU. They didn't. I knew Auburn was going to lose to Penn State. I swear I did. They don't have a quarterback on the planes. They've got issues. And if you watch that game, Penn State was clearly more talented. That was just a, a sucker bet because you're like SEC team at home, so therefore I'm going to take them. And not just an SEC. Like, it wasn't Mizzou. It's Auburn. So, like, you thought hey, it's Auburn, hey, it's at home, and then, you you know, you kind of flex that SEC muscle a little bit. But Penn State's just at a different stage in their program. Uh, so that was, um, that was uh, I won't even say interesting. It really wasn't that interesting, to be honest with you. Alabama did Alabama things. In Georgia, you mentioned, J.C., the game against 
South Carolina. Look, look, Georgia is is just on another level right now. I I think there's Georgia, then there's Alabama, Ohio State, then there's a drop off. Now that that number four team, some people are saying Michigan. They haven't played anybody. Uh, maybe I'm a little biased because I've seen them up close. Oklahoma to me is right there. You know, Clemson. Their offense is hard to watch right now, but I would think they're going to win the ACC. So maybe they're they're in line for the, the the four seed. They're they're certainly in the conversation. And then there is a major drop off um, from those top three, really. But particularly once you get past that next wave, where anybody can truly beat anybody, and that's what we're seeing in college football. I think it's it's good for the sport. It's anguishing for a lot of fan bases because. There's going to be more and more upsets. This we're not we're not done yet. Uh, the 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 Sun Belt implosion. Um, that's that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think we're going to see a lot of other upsets in conference play, which is where we're heading now. Uh, more and more conference games beginning this week, and I, I just think the middle has gotten bigger, not better. It's gotten bigger in college football with the portal and everything else going on. So something else to uh, to look at. Uh, with all that being said, later on, we'll get to Under the Radar, Don't Sleep On. We'll go over those picks, get you ready for another week, week five of college football. But in the meantime, uh, the world has been clamoring for it for the last seven days. Uh, the stock exchange, it, it it goes up and down, not based on what we do to ravage a once good economy, but what Michael Haney thinks overall. He is the tone setter. He is the mood setter. He is the author of the Hot Haney Five. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for that uh, generous introduction here to the Hot Haney Five. Um, no surprise on on this. It was just a matter of when, I think, for anyone that's been paying attention in college football. Last week, we started off the Hot Haney Five with a coaching change at Nebraska. And this year, we start off, this week, excuse me, we start off the Hot Haney Five with a coaching change, this time at Arizona State. The Herm Edwards Experience in the desert has come to a crash thud ending losing to Eastern Michigan on Saturday night. Um, there is video of him meeting the, uh, the athletic director and the school president on the field. Whereas I think some people be like, is this, is this where he got fired? Uh, but Herm Edwards guys, 26 and 20 in his tenure there. He had six top 25 wins, never lost to his rival yet. He is out. Uh, your thoughts on, the you play to win the game, which, by the way, Eastern Michigan, uh, they actually posted a, a meme uh, with one of their players saying you play to win the game after their upset uh, of the Sun Devils on Saturday night. But, uh, guys, I know uh, we spent the end of last year questioning um, how long Herm Edwards would, would be there amidst all of the coaching changes that was going on in the carousel at the end of last season. But uh, we're three games into this year. Herm Edwards has done your thoughts. Well, I. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. No, go ahead. Actually, I'll Man, you, you I, take this one first. I, I'll be brief. I, I was, I was never a fan of the hire. Um, I thought that if Herm Edwards was, was going to succeed there, that that what the plan, the alleged plan they laid out. Because remember, they fired a pretty good coach in Todd Graham, who, uh, you know, had Arizona State winning. In Arizona State's one of those sleeping giant schools that. You know, they're a seven or eight win program with 10 or 12, 10 to 12 win goals and potential. Um, so they fired Graham. Uh, they got Herm in there. The idea was to do this, you know, CEO NFL style, which never works. When you start hearing people talk about NFL style, that's never going to work in college. 
um, you know, with great coordinators and, and Herm just recruits. So, okay, great. They, they, they recruited pretty well under Herm. Herm, Herm Edwards is a dynamic guy when you sit there and talk to him in the living room and, and all that, but you know, 20 games under 500 as a pro coach, uh, never got better than eight and five at Arizona state plus a big time scandal, uh, during COVID <laughs> when, um, you know, their coaches were going out, working out recruits behind the scenes, and there wasn't, there was supposed to be no contact. So, you know, you, you knew his days were numbered. I was surprised they didn't fire him last year, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I guess they just, it took a loss to Eastern Michigan at home to to do it. But, uh, you know, I, I was never a big fan, uh, but I'm also one that always can sit there and think, well, it could work out if – and those ifs never materialized. He didn't have good coordinators, uh, did not really uh, do what he needed to do from a staff standpoint. You know, recruiting was good, but you look, uh, Daniels is what, at LSU winning games? Uh, Johnny Wilson is at Florida State, killing it. Uh, Florida has a receiver from Arizona State that, that's doing well. Um, you know, I, a lot of their players are doing big things around college football right now, uh, and, and they were gutted. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what their AD does this time around because I think it was highly questionable uh, as to why they would get rid of Todd Graham when they did and bring in Herm. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, that's something I think I, I think to watch because I, I think at this point now, if you're the ASU administration, because, you know, look, the, the basketball coach out there, Hurley, is not a big fan of the AD. That's been well documented. Uh the AD kind of blew something up that wasn't necessary. That's kind of now documented. So I think he's on the hot seat if things don't, uh, you know, if he didn't make a hire that makes sense. I, I think that the time to experiment uh, with the Sun Devils is over. And uh, at some point, you know, you got to look at who's making all these calls and, and then go from there. So that's uh, that's my take on it. I've always been a big Arizona State guy. Uh, me and a buddy of mine that are in coaching, we, we dream about one day, you know, us both going and working at Arizona State. It's that kind of place with that kind of potential. But, um, you know, they just haven't seemed to ever get it right outside of here and there and yonder a few times. And, you know, so back to the drawing board. And uh, if they don't get it right this time, I think uh, the AD will be out in short order. Yeah, I, I've got a lot of thoughts here, and I and uh, to to use a term the kids say, I've got receipts on my thoughts of this hire. Uh, JC, you and I were doing this podcast when the hire was made. I was very vocal at the time. I know uh, a number of uh, national figureheads uh, went out of their way to applaud the hire. You know, outside the box, um, you know, uh, innovative thinking uh, were terms that were used quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> Here's my. It's going to be a compliment for Herm. Let me start with that. Okay. Sometimes it's good to say something nice about somebody. Herm Edwards is kind of a lesson for for people. I would say a lesson for young people that are maybe they're in college, uh, maybe they're young professionals. Here is a positive lesson you can take away from Herm Edwards, who is never a good coach. If you're a nice guy, if you're a likable human being, and Herm Edwards is both, you'll go far in life sometimes. You'll you'll surpass your overall talent and business acumen. Everything I, I've never seen, never met Herm Edwards. Uh, but anybody that I know that has or has even worked with him, 
they all say the same thing. Oh, great guy. Good guy. And, and I have no reason not to believe that. And I think that's the key for Herm Edwards' success. This is a guy you mentioned his record at Arizona State. Uh, if you go back to the NFL, I'm not going to say he had no success with the Jets or the Chiefs, but when he was with the Jets, his time management was so awful, he literally had to hire a time management coach. You know, in the NFL where you can delegate everything to incredible staffs and coordinators, uh, the one thing you really need to do, because there's so many close games in the NFL, you need to be able to manage the clock. And if you don't, you get fired. <laughs> well, he was so bad, and he had to hire an extra person. What is your job? to manage the clock for Herm Edwards? Okay, sure. That's what happened. So he gets fired with the Jets. And then, again, likable guy, nice guy. What's he, what happens? Gets a job with the Chiefs. And what does he do there? His last two years, he goes 4-12. and 12, He goes 2-14. and 14, Gets fired there. Moves on to a TV career. Uh, no matter what you think of Herm Edwards on TV, somebody liked him enough to keep putting him out there and tell you things uh, that you may or may not have already known. And so then out of nowhere, and he could have kept doing TV for a while. Again, likable guy. People liked him. People liked being around him. It's a good combination in in our business. Then out of nowhere, he gets hired for Arizona State. And I was I like a lot of people, what? Um, you have to really know who made the hire to understand it. And so then I had to look up Ray Anderson, who's the athletic director, who might also be a great guy. I know nothing about Ray Anderson, the person. But Ray Anderson, who got a, a Harvard Law degree, was Herm Edwards' agent back in the day. So so there's your connection right there. It's like, hey, you remember, you know, we used to work together. Want to go ahead and be a football coach in college, which I think Herm Edwards in his entire life spent one year in a college campus as like an assistant coach, like a DB coach somewhere. That's it. No background other than that whatsoever. Uh, so I, I I don't know what the interview process like was like for that job, but the people that didn't get it were probably scratching their head and saying, what? So they they hire Herm. And and you know, then Herm gets the job. And again, does a ton of TV interviews. And because of all the people that already like him, they're, they're, they're kind of, while they're interviewing them, they're celebrating the hire. And they're telling you this is a great hire. And Herm is doing what he does. He's working the room and everybody's smiling and laughing and so on and so forth. And, you know, the first year out of the gate, they go seven and six. They lose a bowl game. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it wasn't really a rebuild, as you pointed out, J.C., the guy that he replaced won eight games a year before. Uh, and then, you know, the next year, a little bit better. Then COVID hits. When, when COVID hits, one of his assistants, Antonio Pierce, is doing everything possible that you're not supposed to be doing during COVID in terms of recruiting. Now, you can believe or not believe that Herm Edwards had some idea of what the man he hired and has known for a while, what was going on. So this NCAA cloud has been hanging over the head of Arizona State. A lot of people thought he would have been fired a while ago, if, if nothing else but for that. But nope, again, likable, nice guy, charming, works the room. Kept him around, kept him around until finally the final uh, nail in the coffin came against a bad Mac school and a convincing loss at home. You've heard, some of the most of the top players have already transferred out and clearly it's it's on its way down. And who knows what the NCAA is going to do to Arizona State. So 
I say all that to go back to the first point. Let's take a positive lesson out of this. I never root for anybody to be fired. I, I think if I met Herm Edwards, I would not only invite him in my house for a cold drink, I'd probably fire up the grill and, and offer him a, a steak or a burger, whatever was in the fridge. And I think I would just sit there and laugh and tell stories and he'd be great company. Doesn't mean he was qualified to be the coach of a Pac-12 school that has a lot going for it. And I have been to Tempe and I have called a game in Tempe and everything you said, JC is true. It is a tremendous place. I mean, they got everything going for it, everything that you can possibly imagine. But at the end of the day, you got to make the right hire and we'll see now, uh, First of all, we'll see if the AD is actually the one pulling the strings on this, because if you're, you know, you're hiring a guy that you represented the first go round, well, then maybe, maybe your president, which was on the field apparently to pass along the news, maybe he's not so confident that your AD's ready to make the next hire. So maybe some other people get involved. It'll be interesting to see. But that is a good job. Make no mistake about it. Arizona State's a good job for somebody, and someday they're going to get it right. They haven't been to a Rose Bowl since 1997. Jake Plummer on line two. Uh, there's no reason that they can't be competing for Pac-12 championships or Pac-10 or Pac-4 or Pac-1, whatever they're left with at some point. So uh, very interesting story, to say the least. Yeah, I, I, two more things just to put a bow on Herm. I do know Herm. Uh, I haven't met Herm before. He uh, When I worked for ESPN covering national college football recruiting, uh, we did the Under Armour All-American game, and he was a uh, – he would be one of the coaches just about every right. year uh, and great to talk to great to interview, mm-hmm. had a good eye for the players. Uh, the players love to talk to him. You know, yeah. I mean, you had Dion down there and everybody else, but you know, you're right. And I, and I think, uh, and then this final point, let this be a warning. When you hire a coach that does not know the mascot in the opening press conference, Things are probably that. not going to end well. <laughs> Things are that. probably not going to end well. So just uh, there you go, Ray Anderson and Sun Devil fans. You know, that that should have been an omen uh, that you were doomed to a, an eight-win ceiling and, and probably something that you kind of scratch your head about with uh, with regards to the COVID thing. All right, guys. Well, with that in mind, you both had some glowing things to say about Tempe, and anyone who's ever uh, been to Tempe before or lives in Tempe knows the reasons why you would want to visit and or live there. Uh, so the job obviously uh, can be a peach of a job and, and a school and a program that have the opportunity to do great things. So next question for you, um, Nebraska got a, a weak head start here, but between Nebraska and Arizona State uh, right now, uh, guys, who do you think fills the job first? Who do you think fills their head coaching vacancy mm. first? And will it be a current head coach or will or, or will one or both of these schools have to dip into a uh, a coordinator making their first move? I'll let you take that one again first, JC, because I need more time to think of an answer. That's a tough question, man. I really I don't know. I'm going to say this. I, I there's some coaches out there right now with no jobs that are good coaches. Uh, and so if you wanted to really, you know, beat somebody to the punch, um, you know, and, and get somebody in there to start laying the groundwork for recruiting and, and kind of putting together staff and stuff, you probably hire Dan Mullen or Tom Herman. Um, I, I think Arizona State can and has done worse than Tom Herman and Dan Mullen. I think Nebraska, same way. Uh, I think those two guys are good at coaching offense. I think they're good at 
doing more with less. Uh, I don't maybe think that the Florida and Texas jobs were, you know, kind of fit their style of coaching, just to be quite honest. I mean, you know, what was Tom Herman known for before he went to Texas? Well, he signed five stars at Houston and won a bunch of games. Uh, what was Mullen known for? One of the best coaches in the history of Mississippi State football and did more with less at that place too. Uh, the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, what wh- wh- where are we at? You know, it, could Arizona State go hire Urban Meyer tomorrow and win big? Yes. Could Nebraska? No. Nor do I think Urban Meyer or anybody like that would touch that job, no matter how historically good it's been. Arizona State's got potential, right? Because at the very worst, you're looking at going into the Big 12, you know, and, and having to compete in another league uh, with Southern County UCLA gone. If the Pac-12 stays intact – in that division, I mean, who, who are you trying to beat? Arizona, Utah, Colorado? I mean, that's easy when when you think about the potential of all the programs. I'm not saying those teams are easy. Um, I don't think Urban Meyer is going to either one of those places. I think, uh, you know, you're looking at needing to go out and hire a coach at both jobs that can get you back to winning, right? Uh, no more gambles. No more disasters. Uh, if you're Nebraska, you're probably really gun shy because you hired a no-brainer guy last time who happened to be an alum. <laughs> and, and 16 and 35 later, you know, you don't know what to do. I, I, I think you need a guy that's going to maximize what you've got at Nebraska for the time being. Arizona State's kind of a little more open. But, you know, if I'm either one of those schools, I'm, I'm giving Dan Mullen and Tom Herman a look. I, I think those guys – uh, just probably weren't quite good enough for Texas and Florida, but that doesn't mean they can't be good enough um, at either one of those places. You said a lot there that I agree with. Um, I was waiting for how long it was going to take you to mention the name Urban Meyer. I don't think I'm with you. I don't think there's any chance. I, and in fact, you had a lot of national reporters uh, hitting social media in the last 72 hours saying can confirm Nebraska has not reached out to Urban Meyer. Like, we, I don't think Urban Meyer is going there, and I don't think I, I, I've never thought that was really a serious possibility. Um, to me, the 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 job at Arizona State, for reasons you pointed out, and guess which term I'm going to use, JC? What's that term I use about coaches? What they look at? Path a lot of, of people least resistance. About. Path, Path of, least, of resistance. least resistance. That's right. So if the money is about the same. At, at choice A versus choice B. And, you know, you and your family can enjoy life because, you know, when you're a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, whether it's Lincoln, Nebraska, Tempe, Arizona, or Ames, Iowa, you can have a really nice home and living and arrangement and everything else. And it's not the NFL, so you don't have to worry about the draft. So you can spend the rest of the time in your lake house or your beach house or wherever else. So if it doesn't come down to that, what does it come down to? What's the job that I'm not going to get fired from the quickest path of least resistance? That's Arizona State, folks. It's not Nebraska. Uh, I will submit Exhibit A on that point. They fired Bo Pelini. And and they did it like they did it gleefully. Like it wasn't like this, oh, we're anguishing. I don't know if Bo's the guy or he's not. They were like, get him the hell out of here. It's not Nebraska. This is not Nebraska standards. This is Bo Pelini's records. Uh, from the from the 2008 to 2014, when he got waxed 
and eventually went to uh, to Youngstown State. I don't know where Bo is now. He's no longer at Youngstown State. Nebraska, 2008, 9-4, 10-4, 10-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-4, 9-3 before they fired him. Nebraska would walk on a hotbed of nails to get to those records now. They would, they would do anything to get to that point in time. Uh, and that's much of that is in the Big Ten, by the way. Much of, from what, 2011 through 2014, back when there was the Legends division. Nine and four, 10 and four, nine and four, nine and three in the Big Ten. Conference records, five and three, seven and one, five and three, five and three. Now, were they ever a legitimate threat to beat Ohio State? No. But at some point, Nebraska fans, I think Nebraska fans, which, why, by the way, uh, the longest consecutive sellout streak in the country, it's not even close. I think they've recalibrated their expectations and they realize this is not going to be mid 1990s success anymore. And if you recalibrate and you realize, okay, we might be fighting for third place in the Big Ten for a long time. If you do that and if you make the right hire, Maybe Nebraska can get back to that point, but I, I, I just don't know because it's not going to be Urban Meyer. I don't think it's going to be Dan Mullen. Uh, I don't know who fits there anymore. I've heard people say, well, they got to go back to the triple option. Like, no, they're not going back to the triple option. That's not the answer. This is beyond scheme that's been a problem at Nebraska. So I, I think that that's the tougher one to me to figure out. I think all the names you mentioned at Arizona State make perfect sense. And there's probably some other ones we're not looking at, but but they're both, I think, in a first search for an established head coach, and and at that point, if you don't get what you want, and then you start widening the net, and maybe it's you know the hot coordinator, or as I'll talk about it under the radar, there is a I don't want to say a trend, but there are prime examples of coaches from one double A, even Division three, that are having good success at the FBS level right now. Absolutely, I mean, you know. <clears throat> Going back to 03, you have to think about this. Um, they fired Frank Solich, right? Uh, and hired Bill Callahan for, I think, two or three years. And, of course, he wasn't. He recruited pretty well, but that was it. Um, Frank Solich was 58 and 19 at Nebraska. That was in the Big 12 era. Uh, played for a national title. Uh, had one really lackluster seven and seven season in 02, but the rest of it never less than nine wins. And then all he did was go to Ohio university in Athens, Ohio, which is a brutally tough Mac job. Now, this is not, this mm. is Akron level. This is not Toledo. This is not, not Miami, Miami of Ohio. Ohio. Right. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's Ohio 115 and wins and 82 losses. And, Gosh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten bowls <laughs> from 05 to 2020. So that guy can coach. Uh, I thought Bo Pelini could coach. I understand Bo Pelini did some Bo Pelini things while he was there, uh, you know, and people may not be too fond of that, but, but he could coach. They hired Mike Riley, pretty good coach, and two stints at Oregon State, didn't do anything at Nebraska. And then, you know, this Frost thing just sort of, was a strikeout for some reason. I, and I, I can't explain that. That's uh that's something I, for the life of me, Mike, but you and I talked about it and you were like, surely he won't take Nebraska over Florida. And I wasn't too sure, but I, I agreed with your line of thinking that Florida was a great job. 
but maybe path of least resistance played in the heartstrings were tugged because it's the the Cornhuskers. I think it's the heartstrings more yeah. than anything else, JC. They're you know the what best fans in the country. Best fans in the country. Uh, no question. They're they're terrific. Uh, and it's it's one thing to sell out stadiums when you're great, but mm-hmm. when you suck and you're still continuing over 300 straight sellouts, that speaks volumes to me. Um, here's what I think is my and we'll close close up shop on on these jobs. I think Scott Frost got shook because he never he never tasted uh, disappointment, right? I mean, as a player, all they did was win. And at UCF, they have the magical season. Uh, and, and so he didn't know he didn't have adversity. And right off the bat, it doesn't go well for Scott Frost at Nebraska. I don't some coaches are great front runners. And when you're front running, you do you hit all the all the right buttons, right? But and some coaches can have the walls caving. I mean, look at what LSU is doing right now after after their coach took an absolute beating in week one, and people who clearly have a problem with Brian Kelly teed off on him uh and and beat him up like a pinata. I don't think Scott Frost was prepared for that. Some coaches can do that. Some, and you look at Scott the last I don't know, year and a half. And he just looked like it, it, it comes a point in tra- time where it's so traumatic that you just kind of almost tune out. Like you just check out anybody who's been in like a, an argument perhaps with a loved one. And finally you just realize like it's, it, it's, it's not going anywhere and y- you get all amped up and emotional and you're right. And, and then all of a sudden you're just like, you know what? <sighs> I'm checking out. I I can't even I can't go any on with this any longer. Like that to me was Scott Frost. Like you watched him on the side and I was like, what the hell did I sign up for, man? I didn't realize this job was so tough. Seven I, years. I, I, I love my alma mater, but I don't love this. Why didn't I take those other jobs? Why did I stay at UCF for crying out loud? Uh, I I I think he got shook in in uh, in short order. Seven years as a head coach, one winning season. That was an undefeated winning season where they falsely claimed a national championship. Uh, no offense to our UCF listener, because I know we got one out there. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, but we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to hear from UCF night yeah, 94 I, later on. Jason. I wasn't a fan of them claiming, but that's okay. I mean, I, I didn't know. Oh, he's a, not that guy. He's not that I, guy. I wasn't ever, but, you know, so, yeah, it's tough. Kind of shocking. Kind of shocking, just to be honest. But you, you, there's probably something to that, Mike. And, you know, some coaches do face adversity. They have – I mean, Brian Kelly got his teeth kicked in a few years back at Notre Dame. He was four and eight, came right back, right. won double digits. You know, he he knows how to persevere, and you, you have to in this game. Players, coaches, fans, everybody, you have to you have to rally. You have to flush the last week, and there may be something to your point there. All right, Mike. To uh, to put a point on this, where is Bo Pelini now? Well, unless you are a family or friend, nobody knows. He was uh, last the <laughs> defensive coordinator at LSU and was fired in December of the COVID year after uh, the LSU defense was uh, not very good in his second return as defensive coordinator there. But yeah, four years as head coach or five five years as head coach at Youngstown State after after that Nebraska uh, tenure, and um, he has not been in coaching at least according to what wow. I can do right now since December of twenty. 20. Isn't that amazing? A guy with that now, granted, I mean, he, he's his own worst enemy. He rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Um, that that I've heard from coaches about Bo Pelini. He did take Youngstown State to the uh, playoff championship, I believe, in 2016. Um, 
they definitely made the playoffs. It might even be the championship game. But uh, anyway, that's his, friend, his time in the Missouri Valley Conference, Youngstown State. All right, next up, Michael. All right, next up, uh, number three, we started talking about Arizona State and and where things are going to go for them. Well, they are in the Pac-12, and look, the SEC gets the love, the Big Ten gets the love, the Big 12, obviously, uh, for the reasons that we all know. They end up in uh, in the playoff, and they end up winning championships, but uh, then you got the Pac-12 and the ACC, uh, even with Clemson winning the ACC, they still, uh, you know, they still get a lot of gruff from from a lot of rival uh, fan bases and rival uh, leagues for not being as strong top to bottom as some folks think they are. But the Pac-12 is one. Uh, Southern Cal and Lincoln Riley, obviously, the the headline over the off season and what was going to happen with his big move from Oklahoma, uh, and then Utah, obviously, a top ten team when the season started. Before what's now, we'll get into it more uh, a little bit later. What's now looking like a bad loss uh, to the Florida Gators, uh, but surprisingly here over the first three weeks we've seen uh the pac-12 have a, a few other teams uh surprise some folks so we got washington state knocking off wisconsin a couple of weeks ago this past week we had washington uh knock off michigan state uh, the final was 39 to 28 gentlemen but uh, the game really was not that close at all uh michael Penix jr the indiana transfer having a, a huge night and looking like uh, the huskies there could be a team to watch out for uh, in the pac-12 uh, Oregon State also 3-0, and and uh, for the first time uh, since 1915, 1915, Washington State and Oregon State are both 3-0 and simultaneously. So, uh, guys, um, time to, to pay attention a little bit more to, to the Pac-12 and, and some of these teams and what they could be doing here uh, for the rest of the season uh, moving forward for the college football playoff, or eh, they'll beat each other up and who cares? I, well, I think it's <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle because I don't want it to you you justifiably gave some folks uh, some love in the Pac-12. I think Kalen DeBoer uh, deserves some love. You know, he came to Seattle after he lit up uh, the scoreboard at, at Fresno State, and uh, you know that unlike the hire before uh, was actually a good, uh, sound, solid hire that made a lot of sense, and they're reaping the benefits of it right now. In, uh, in in Husky Land, I think if anybody was doubting, you know, Southern Cal has a chance to be legit right off the bat. Uh, they're being reminded that, yeah, Lincoln Riley, especially when you give him premier transfers, uh, can do a hell of a job. Uh, when you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, when you when you look at um, that what Oregon has done, bouncing back. I mean, right now everybody realizes just how good Georgia is. And so that loss, while it's bad because they got throttled, that doesn't mean Oregon is bad. That's a big win against a physical BYU team, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, favored in, in that game. That's probably one of my many uh, misses this week <laughs> on the pick five. So, yeah, I, good for the Pac-12. I mean, they're, they're hanging on by a thread. Nobody knows who's going to be in the league a year or two years from now, and uh, they, they don't get any love. Um and maybe they don't have a, a ticket to the playoff yet again, uh, but there's some good stories there this year. Yeah, you know, this, this TV schedule for them this week, coming weekend, Mike, you know, they wonder why nobody cares. Nobody. All right. So, look, kudos to Fox for picking up Oregon at Washington State, right? Well, SC is playing Oregon State in Corvallis. You know, that's a place national television rarely goes. I remember game day was there one year for the Oregon-Oregon State game. Uh, you know, Pac-12 Network, 8.30. <laughs> you know, uh, FS1 did is doing Washington-Stanford, you know. 
Uh, ESPN has Utah at Arizona State with the, the drama down it. I mean, obviously the Sun Devils aren't that good. Um, I, I don't understand why Oregon State SC isn't on one of the networks, but you know that, that that's one of the things I love about the Pac-12 though is, is like every year, like you look at all these teams in this league as it currently stands. Every year, you know, teams can go up or down. Arizona's had good teams. Oregon State's had good teams. Oregon, uh, Utah. Uh, Colorado won a national championship in 1990, believe it or not. Um, Stanford's been good, you know, uh, all of them. And uh, I like that about that league a whole lot because I, I think that whereas the big fish, obviously, are Southern Cal and UCLA brand-wise, you know, those other teams can play ball too uh, every now and then depending on the year. So um, I, I like it. I, I don't think you're too far off base, Michael. I think it is a, a better league than people give it credit for right now. Um, you know, and, and some of these starts are good. I mean, Oregon State's biggest win is in the opener against Boise, but there's been years where Boise would have won that game by four touchdowns. So, you know, uh, the coach at Oregon State, I think his name's Jonathan Smith, is an excellent coach. Uh, I think he's an alum of Oregon State. Uh, so he's home and doing a good job. But that's a, that's a good point. I think, you know, the Herm Edwards debacle at ASU aside, you know, you look and Mike mention Kalen DeBoer, really, really good coach. Uh, went from Indiana to, oh. to Fresno to to Washington now. Really right. good coach. So, you know, I, th- I think they're, you know, I, I think that league is, is on to something. And Utah could easily be sitting here with a win in the swamp when everybody thought Anthony Richardson was the best thing since sliced bread. The most hyped player to, to not even throw a touchdown pass through three games, by the way. Another brutal game for him and what could have been a loss to – uh, to USF, but Utah was all they needed was a field goal to tie. They, they, they run a route again in traffic in the end zone. I'll never understand those, those type of play calls. Uh, otherwise they could have, they could have won that game and been a media darling again as the defending PAC 12 champions. When they lost that game and when Oregon lost to Georgia, everybody's like, okay, game over PAC 12. And it might be in terms of the playoff. I think your best chance is Southern Cal there. Um, but no, there. Look, there's some good stories in that league. There's, as we've always talked about in this podcast, there's there's good elements to that league. I, I'd love to see the Pac-12 be relevant. I hope that uh, their new commissioner, commissioner, who once he found out the news that Southern Cal and UCLA were leaving, he did get kicked in the playoff cough. Uh, I hope he recovers from that and and is able to uh, get that conference on solid ground because you just get the feeling that there is a duel going on an old-fashioned western where it's like whoever draws the pistol first wins between the big 12 and the southern cal who's going to poach from the other league at this point and if the pac-12 gets poached again now i'd be very concerned about the health of that league i'm going to say this to you october 15th mark this down I'm looking at SC schedule, and I know oh, I it's know not, it not not going to be easy in Corvallis, but they should win. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Riley, they have enough talent to win. If they beat Utah on October 15th, Mike. At Utah. There's not a lot of losses. I mean, Notre Dame comes to Los Angeles at the end of this year. Could Notre Dame get it together and win that game? Absolutely. But, you know, mm-hmm. and this is to this point, this is how wrong I've been all year. I'm, I, I am personally in a, in a on a losing streak this season. I, I've been wrong <laughs> so many times. I picked Lincoln Riley 
to be the guy that, that might pick Marcus Freeman. <laughs> I think Lincoln Riley would be the guy that would mess up. Lincoln Riley could finish undefeated and bring the Trojans to the playoff this year. I don't think they'd have a shot at against a Georgia or somebody like that. But man, they there's nothing if they beat Utah and Salt Lake City on October 15th, there's nothing really that's going to keep them, you know, provided they win between now and then from, from going uh, and being undefeated. You know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know that Notre Dame from what we've seen is as good as they are. So uh, I'm right. I'm right there with you. I think that the, the league comes down to, to that game. Uh, if they, if they wipe out Utah in a really tough place to play in Salt Lake city, then Southern Cal is going to be in that PAC 12 championship game against Probably Oregon. I want to rule out Washington, but probably Oregon. And I, I think Southern Cal would be a favorite either way. Yeah, JC, there is a um, there's a country artist. Uh, this song's a few years old now, named Ashley Monroe. She's got a song called "If Losing's a Game, I'm on a Winning Streak." So maybe we can uh, maybe we can fire that one up for you sometime. When we get that when we get that one. If losing's a game, then I'm on a winning streak. Mike, you're you're that very it? close. That's okay. actually yep. Yep. You know, uh, you know how I do. I take yeah, a, I do, yeah. I, I take do. a title and uh, I, I just yeah. I, you got the, I country, the, 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 country, the the country lyrical progression there. Good job, Mike. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Good job. Good job. Um, well, moving on uh, to this um, question number four, and, and Mike, you touched on it a little bit. You touched on it a lot last week, but I almost didn't bring this up again, but I, I feel led to because of where game day is uh, this week in Nayland Stadium uh, as as Tennessee fans now uh, for the first time in, in years uh, have justifiably high hopes that they will be able to fully manhandle their Eastern Division rival in the, in the Florida Gators. Uh, but guys, uh, I, I was not paying attention to, to most of the SEC games in, until late where we saw Missouri State uh, uh, leading Arkansas in the fourth quarter. And then I saw that uh, USF was leading Florida. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? What's what's happening? Um, but I, you know, Arkansas came back. They, they scored 21 points uh, in, in the blink of an eye and, and survived the scare. Florida, meanwhile, had to have USF uh, botch a snap and botch a hold. <laughs> to keep the game from going to overtime here. So I want to bring up um, Anthony Richardson and the Florida Gators. And Mike, you mentioned no touchdowns through three games. Uh, he's completed less than 50% of his passes uh, the the last couple of weeks after completing nearly 70% against Utah. Uh, I, I try to avoid hyperbole, but, you know, if, and forgive me for being out of the game here the last few years, but I don't know if I can recall in a sport that is week by week and we have hot takes and reaction I don't know if I can recall a a, a bigger whiff and, and miss and overreaction uh, in, in recent memory than what we saw with Anthony Richardson and Florida. In preparation for this, I've seen plenty uh, of, of writing. I've seen plenty of, uh, of podcast hosts and others be like, man, I was wrong. I compared him to Cam Newton. What the hell was I thinking? Have we seen have we seen a bigger overreaction to a performance uh, from a player at a school? that you guys can recall, man. I mean, there's been, there's been bigger hype of a player coming in. Like I always go back to the Ron Powell at Notre Dame and the late Beano cook predicting two Heisman trophies. Um, but this was a kid who actually didn't have the most hype coming out. He's a local kid, East side high school in Gainesville. Um, and I pointed out, uh, I mean, in the off season, 
when some people, a few people were going goo goo gaga over Anthony Richardson. And I was like, no, he's not even in the top five quarterbacks in this league. Well, who would you put over him? Well, uh, where do I start with the, the reigning Heisman trophy winner and Bryce young Hendon hooker, KJ Jefferson, Stetson Bennett. Yes. That's Stetson Bennett. Now Stetson Bennett can't dunk from the free throw line like Anthony Richardson does, but he's a better football player period. And if you don't see that, then you're not watching the same game as anybody that uh, truly knows the game. I mean, seriously, like people went ape, you know what, when he had, and it was a brilliant play. The two-point conversion against Utah, where he's got a guy right in his face, and he's running right, and he pump fakes, and then just to throw the cherry on top, he does a pirouette 360, and then keeps going, then they get the two-point conversion. Like, that was a great play. He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass in 2022. Let me repeat that. He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. He threw a brutal interception. At, at the end of that USF game, which could have cost him the game, he threw a brutal pick six against Kentucky. Um, look, here's the deal. The three of us, we all know people in this business. And it's one thing to talk to somebody that gives you a little scouting report. But the key to, to, to doing this, I, I think, is people that you trust that can be objective. Why do I say that? Uh, JC, you and I do weekly segments throughout the Southeast on various shows, whether it's the state of Alabama, whether it's South Carolina, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Florida. One of the ones I do a weekly segment on is, uh, the Shane Matthews show, uh, in, uh, well, it's, it's a, I technically you could say it's a national show cause it's on Facebook and streams, whatever. But if for those who don't know, Shane was a former quarterback under Steve Spurrier at Florida, two-time SEC uh, player of the year. And Shane is the radio analyst. Now, very often, uh, and let this be a lesson to fan bases out there, the radio analysts of a lot of schools is so entrenched in being Joe Homer that they can't give you an objective opinion on anything. And so all they're going to tell you is, well, you look good in practice and everything is great and we're fantastic. And so I don't waste my time with those people. Shane is the radio analyst of Florida, and he has a critical eye on everything and tells it like it is. And he actually coached against Anthony Richardson in high school for four years. And he told me before the season started, Mike, the kid's not good at reading defenses and he's terribly inaccurate. That's all I needed to know that. And I saw for, with my own two eyes, the rare games that he started last year. And again, an incredible play followed by uh, terrible uh, turnovers and just the inability to complete what should be routine passes for an SEC quarterback. And I hate saying all this because I'm not trying to pile up on the kid. I wish him well. I hope he bounces back. I hope he turns into something even remotely close to Cam Newton, which he's not. And I said that last week. This is not Cam Newton 2.0. I followed Cam Newton. He's not even close to Cam Newton. But maybe he turns into that. He's only a sophomore. But for right now, yes, to answer your question, Michael, he the, the hype train that came on after that week one win over Utah was so immense. And then to see what we've witnessed since then, that has to be right up there. That has to be. And I will say this. There are still people that will tell you that kid's a first-round draft pick. So it's not all like just, you know, college rah-rah people going goo-goo-gaga over some highlights. There are some people, and they're like, there's like, like I mentioned, there's an actual video there. He is dunking from the free. His foot's a little bit, you know, it's on the line. It's not quite Michael Jordan. But he's a remarkable athlete. He could go to a combine and shine. But right now at the quarterback spot, 
he's got a long way to go. And in a year where it's loaded with quality quarterbacks in the SEC, I, I'll stay. I'll stick with what I said at the beginning of the year. He is by no means in the top five. And as of right now, he's got a ways to go to go in the upper half. I agree with you there. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a single week hype uh, train like, like that. I mean, it wasn't just that. It was just like Billy Napier was on college game day or something or, or one of those pregame shows and said, oh, it's just like Dak Prescott or Cam Newton. Even yeah. his head coach well, got and, caught up in it. And I get that. But And, and again, he's selling know. as much as I'll, you know. I'll that give it, yeah, I'll give it. I'll give him a pass. But, man, okay, so it looks like Jeff Collins is probably going to be next getting fired. I've just got a text. I don't see anything in the Twitter sphere uh, yet, but uh, just got a text. It looks like Jeff Collins is going to be out at Georgia well, Tech. Well, uh, we were going to get to something, not that we knew that, that was going to happen, but we were going to get to, you know, one of my uh, don't sleep on – don't sleep on another power five coach getting fired soon. And certainly Jeff Collins was a possibility again, being here in Atlanta, I can tell you um, that there is just, it's like Georgia tech is not even here. Like they, they play football 10 miles from my house. I, I you wouldn't even know it. You wouldn't even know it. Um, I don't think it's all Jeff Collins. And you know, yeah, I, I, they, they, they're Georgia tech. We won't spend too much time on this, uh, but Georgia Tech has to like do a, a complete autopsy on where has that program gone wrong and what is it going to take? Because I don't think it's just hiring the next hot coaching prospect out there to turn that around. Uh, people I know in the city that are graduates, proud graduates, I might add, point to the uh, the academic point of it. Look, there's a lot of schools that were known as, well, we're not going to lower our standards just because we want to be better in college football. The fact of the matter is, many of those finally gave in. They finally succumbed to the pressure that is uh, giving in at least somewhere, somehow. I mean, you go all the way back to Lou Holtz getting Tony Rice as a Prop 48 and having to go to the dean or the chancellor who whomever to kind of sign a waiver virginia used to be known as one of those schools that we are not going to bend our uh, standards to get certain that well it's not the same there in charlottesville anymore either and I, I just wonder at some point if you're georgia tech you're in atlanta and and you're in, you're in the acc and it wasn't that long ago you shared a national title for crying out loud uh there's got to be a way to be better. And I don't think it's all on Jeff Collins and his predecessors that also got fired. Well, you know, that is one of those things, Mike, you're, you're right about that. But I also think, you know, Jeff Collins comes in and, and here's what happened. You know, they needed, because Paul Johnson is as good as they hired Paul Johnson. Great. Okay. He comes there. He has some success. It is a special, special preparation but they always hung in the balance. You know, they'd be they'd go and beat Florida State 45-42. Well, then they go and lose to Wofford 45-42. You know, they were always kind of right there because of that system. And Paul Johnson was one of those, I'm not going to recruit. I'm just going to sign whoever. And they ended up with a Southern Conference roster that was geared toward playing the triple option under center. Uh, and Georgia Tech before that, if you remember, uh, Chan Gailey did some good things. Um 
George O'Leary won some games there. It was not a program that was by any stretch uh, terrible, right? And so, um, you know, so you, you need to go get a recruiter. Jeff Collins is a recruiter, and, and he did recruit well, I thought. I thought he won some battles he should have. And then a little thing called the transfer portal came along. And right now, when it's supposed to be turning because he's in, what, his fourth year, they got destroyed in the transfer portal. They got, to, I mean, they lost Jameer Gibbs. They lost several other players. They were just out. And that's the risk you run, um, especially with uh, the academic programs they have there and all that. And uh, where I would have probably fired him, though, would have been last year. They played Georgia at home. You know, their chances of beating Georgia were nil, of course. Still a rivalry game. You know, they had the drone shot from above the stadium. It was a C, and I've been to Georgia, Georgia Tech games before. UGA is usually about 50 50 with them. Mm-hmm. Sea of red and black. They got totally out. They had a they had a road game in their own stadium. And that's not that's not really what Georgia Tech's all about. So I uh, uh I would have probably fired him then. But uh, you know, they, I think they wanted to just give him a shot here this year. That that old miss game was ugly. At home, I think that was my lock of the week last week. I don't know if it was on this show or not, but uh, I felt like Ole Miss would cover the 16 and a half. I, I didn't know that Ole Miss's defense would completely shut them out. But, uh, hey, good for Lane Kiffin and the Rebels. But, uh, yeah, it does look like uh, without any kind of official word yet, uh, looks like that's out there that Collins could be next to go. All right. Well, we will see exactly what happens uh, with that. I, I did see a, a list where – uh, I think it was Seth Emerson. Uh, it had the the list of of uh, potential coaches and uh, to you know, to maybe be next on the chopping block. And he said, "You know, it's bad when they don't even bother to spell your name right because uh, Jeff Collins's name was spelled J E F F." So uh, not not surprising that he would that be ain't right. It's G E O F F. Come on, spell it the right way. I don't know why, but it's G E O F F. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Come All on. right, guys. Uh, final question here of the uh, Hot Haney Five. This is something that kind of snuck. Maybe it would qualify for under the radar, Mike, but we're going to sneak it in here uh, at the end of the Hot Haney Five. It was halftime of the Miami-Texas A&M game in College Station, and we had uh, Greg Sankey doing an interview with members of the media uh, and saying about the future scheduling model for the SEC that, quote, the focus in football is on a single division now the real debate is eight or nine conference games that doesn't mean divisions are completely erased from our consideration but they're not at the forefront of our thinking end quote by greg sankey uh we've seen the big 12 we've seen the pac 12 uh go to this uh gentlemen your thoughts of the sec especially with the addition of oklahoma and texas uh moving to a full you know straight up single division model well, I'll keep this real short. Uh, we already have seen the SEC go to this in basketball about a decade ago, and I don't know many people that say, boy, I miss those divisions. Um, I really think part of this is, and I thought the pod system had potential, four, four-team pods. The, the problem with that is, no matter how you slice it, there, there's always going to be irate fans, coaches, administration saying, well, my pod is more difficult than their pod. And so Greg Sankey's had to hear that for years about the East and the West, about the permanent opponents of one school versus the permanent opponents of another. 
I think he finally just said, you know what? The heck with it. None of that anymore. We're going to have no divisions, no pods, nothing. You're going to have all 16 teams in one bunch. You're going to have the top two teams meet in Atlanta every year. Uh, we'll figure out eight to nine. I still maintain it's not going to go to nine until we know when the playoff will be expanded. And when it is expanded, then you could probably expect nine. Uh, and now the only uh, controversial, p- potential controversial thing will be, even without divisions, you're going to have to have some permanent opponent stipulation. Auburn and Alabama have to play every year. Florida and Georgia are going to play every year. There are other games of that magnitude. Uh, I don't know how Texas and Texas A&M are going to do it because some people seem to want that and some don't. But, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that that would be – I'm surprised the way that was just kind of dropped. I wasn't uh, wasn't waiting for that kind of a woge bomb in the uh, in the middle of the desert. But um, – but yeah, that doesn't surprise me because there's just so many potential issues if you go to divisions or pods. And I will say this real quick uh, before JC, we get your thoughts on this to, uh, about the pods. Uh, Sankey did say of the pod model, quote, pods really doesn't work, end quote, noting that they could create the similar issue that the league has had dealing where members don't play each other home and away frequently enough. There you go. Yeah. Unless you're going to have semifinals, uh, I don't think pods work either. I, I uh, I mean, when you're when you're talking about two eighteen divisions, I mean, what do you do? I mean, how do you get there? Uh, do, do you move Alabama to the? You move Alabama Auburn to the east, Missouri to the west. That would be like the most uh, popular thing, and then add those up. Well, then all of a sudden, uh, you're creating a very very powerful eastern division with the top two programs in the league in the east now. Uh, and then the west all of a sudden becomes like the early nineties, and it's the wild wild west, right? Because uh, there's not really a dominant program. Uh, and so is that fair? Uh, is it fair to Georgia to, to throw Alabama in there, uh, in their own division and have a player? You know, that, that doesn't make any sense either. Um, you know, the pod format is right. You know, what, what, the, what the SEC wants to accomplish with scheduling, they want to get rid of the not very popular old school Nobody plays, you know, you don't play the teams from the other division that frequently. I mean, I know just from South Carolina standpoint, the last time they played in Tuscaloosa, Alabama was 2009. It's been 15 years. The guys that uh, played on that team are in their mid thirties. (laughs) I mean, you know, Mark Ingram was a young player. I think he was a sophomore that year. Um, and the same thing's true. Like, I don't think Georgia's been to College Station, uh, you know, yet. And A&M's been in the league 10 years now. So uh, what they're going to do is I, I think I think if they don't go to nine, they're going to have a, a very interesting 1-7 model. Uh, and, Mike, to, to your point, I think that would keep Texas and Oklahoma and Texas and Texas A&M would play every other year uh, because I know the league really wants that Texas-Oklahoma game. Uh, Georgia would play Florida, Alabama, Auburn, the Egg Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. LSU'd play A&M. Um, and, and I think that's if they stay at eight. Now, if they go to nine, what I think will happen is a three-six-six 6 model. And my understanding from reading some very, very good reporting from Ross Dellinger and the guys at The Athletic during uh, SEC meetings is, okay, so the top teams in the top programs, top seven, uh, which would be the quote-unquote big six plus A&M, uh, you know, they won't, they, they didn't care. 
you know, oh, we'll play whoever. But then the teams like Kentucky and South Carolina and Missouri, they were like, well, wait a minute, you know, this is nine games. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, this is this is tough. And so I think there'll be a compromise. In other words, what, what you'll have, just like they did when they expanded in 92, and your big six played your big six, and then your other three in each division played the other three. Uh, your, your teams like Kentucky, they will have like, okay, like Kentucky will have like Tennessee as their permanent opponent. Uh, or one of the three, and then it'll be like Vanderbilt and uh, Missouri, you know, something like that. Uh, Kentucky will have one team, like, you know, Tennessee probably, and then they'll have, you know, Mississippi State and whoever else. Uh, and then the, your Georgias of the world, you know, they'll have Florida and Auburn and then a Kentucky or somebody like that. You know, just as an example, I think you're going to see the the – the other teams <laughs> uh, in the league are the, the programs that aren't up at the top echelon have two of their peers and then one from the upper and then vice versa with those three permanent. And then it's six, six. So you play your three every year, then you play the other six and then you play the other six. And then you have everybody on the schedule over the course of uh, three seasons. And that's good. And I think that's what they want to go for. And that does the that is the finale for the Hot Haney Five. That's it. I'm going to let you right. say that, Michael. Since oh yeah, yeah. Well, that wraps it up for the Hot there Haney Five. There you go. There we go. There we go. Beautiful we work. Just edit the well, rest of that out, maybe. No. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll go ahead. We we need to get some uh, production elements on this thing as soon as mm-hmm. we're able to. I was uh, I was making a late this. change to uh, to our pick five. So oh gosh, that's yeah. What was happening there. Yeah, so we can be embarrassed a little bit more. All right, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I know we're running late on time, so let me let me get through the um, a couple of things on under the radar. By the way, a JC and Morgan presented by Blue Delta Jeans, BlueDeltaJeans.com for the very best in custom jeans. Go to where all the coaches, players, singers, businessmen, and just everyday Joes that want to look and feel their very best. Go to BlueDeltaJeans.com. Okay, the. Since you mentioned the Jeff Collins story, and again, that is not confirmed yet, but it's certainly hot and heavy on the uh, internet and social media. I found this. This was as of a week ago. So keep in mind, this is seven days old. But Vegas actually had odds, has odds, on the next head coach to be fired. Well, who was the leading candidates? Well, Herm Edwards was. So seven days ago, if you would have bet uh, $1,000, the odds were plus 350. So you would have made some good money. If you bet on Herm Edwards to be the next coach fired, uh, we should have gotten into this a week ago. Could have won some people some money. Uh, Jeff Collins, number two, along with David Shaw of Stanford. Uh, That's definitely one I missed on. I thought David Shaw had a chance to really emerge into that upper echelon of coaching. Uh, I was was buying stock on David Shaw five, six years ago. But uh, he's definitely on the hot seat in Palo Alto. They've got Jimbo Fisher plus 600. I don't see Jimbo getting fired this year at all. And then Scott Satterfield, Brian Harson, and at the very bottom, Dino Babers. Dino Babers ain't getting fired. They're 3-0. and They're one of the 33 3-0 and teams this year, and they're a great story at, at Syracuse. Brian Harson, on the other hand, that plus 1,000 might be moving up. Uh, just saying. That, that just has a weird vibe to it. So... Uh, I thought that was interesting. I, also under the radar, Kansas is one of those undefeated teams. And I'll bet you 99% of the American public couldn't tell you a single player on the Kansas team, and that's okay. 
maybe 2% could tell you who Lance Leopold is. Well, he's their head coach. And we were just talking about who should this school hire and that coach hire and that uh, program hire. Well, Kansas, which had become the laughing stock of Division One. Okay, I mean, Kansas would, would be an underdog to probably a dozen 1AA schools over the last few years. Uh, they have been that bad. So they we weren't going to exactly get the pick of the litter, even though they have money. You know, they're they're a Big 12 school with, with certainly some coin. So they hired Lance Leopold. Now, I bet you that hire didn't make uh, so much as a tremor on the Richter scale. He's 58 years old. He's from Johnson Creek, Wisconsin. He's a former quarterback at Wisconsin Whitewater. Well, it just so happens he coached at Wisconsin Whitewater and led them to six Division III national championships, a half a dozen titles as a D3 coach. What does that get you? That gets gets you the head head coaching job at another place thought to be a graveyard, Buffalo. So he goes to Buffalo. What does he do at Buffalo? He wins two Eastern Division titles. He's the two-time MAC Coach of the Year. And obviously with that, you go to bowl games with the MAC tie-ins. So if you can win at a D3 school, and I don't mean just win, dominate, and then you go to a place that is very difficult to win and have success, that tells me you can win anywhere, including Kansas. So that's why the hire was made. And all of a sudden, Kansas, the laughing stock of Division I football for quite some time now, well, what are they doing? Well, they're 3-0. and They are 3-0. and So uh, it just goes to show you there is no blueprint. There is no template for what kind of coach you hire. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and they don't all have the same kind of background. Well, you got to hire the successful coordinator. Now you got to hire the successful group five coach. Well, this guy was neither, and he might be your national coach of the year. So under the radar and kudos to Lance Leopold. Uh, under the radar, if you bet Kansas or Vanderbilt over, you've already won your bet. You can just go ahead, pay that mortgage off on September the 19th. You've already won the bet because Vanderbilt, I believe, was two and a half, and Kansas was one and a half. They're both already hit their bet. They're both already over. Uh, some of those undefeated teams, I'm going to give a little bit of love under the radar to the quarterbacks. For Kansas, Jalen Daniels. For App State, we've talked about Chase Bryce. They're not undefeated, but uh, he's a great story this year. For Duke, Riley Leonard. Remember that name. Riley Leonard's going to put up some sick numbers. He's only a sophomore. He is going to put up some sick numbers. Mike Elko already making an impact in Durham. They're 3-0. and Connor Basilak, remember him? Former Missouri Tiger. He's at Indiana. They're 3-0. and and one more name to remember, Drake May replaced Sam Howell. It's a good year in the ACC for quarterback play, but nobody's talking about Drake May. Drake May is legit, folks. He is pouring it on, and they think in time he might be better than one Sam Howell who is now in the NFL, and that is your under the radar. Uh, real quick, don't sleep on Duke, Kansas, speaking of three and O's, they're battling each other this Saturday. That's a game that would have been like the toilet bowl joke of the week, but they're a combined six and O. So you got to appreciate that. Don't sleep on wake forest with a healthy Hartman playing Clemson. They're getting seven points. I'll just throw that out there. And the other one that was on my list that might've already qualified. Don't sleep on another power five coach getting fired. Now there's a lot of uh, talk and smoke with Jeff Collins of Georgia tech. Okay, 
Go ahead, Michael. Take it away. All right. Well, I, I did want to say it just just real quick. I don't want to get too deep dive, but kind of disappointed with the Kansas Duke deal that they didn't get a game day. I, I understand <laughs> why. I, I get the reasons why. I know, but that would yeah. have been fun. Like I, they already did App State. They they threw a bone to the Mountaineers last week, so you got to kind of get back on track to the to the you know name brand teams. Uh, right. I understand, but man, that you're never going to get that opportunity again. Uh, at least <laughs> you, that is true. You, the way, the way that we we look at it, I, I don't know when we're ever going to see Duke and Kansas six and zero uh, and playing each other. Mike, you and your your you know your traveling uh, band there, you would fit quite well in Lawrence. That's that's the new Michael Haney, the musically inclined Michael Haney. Like you would fit. Yeah, right yeah. I mean, there's a great classic rock band called Kansas. There's another really good Americana uh, band called the Jayhawks. So you know, wow, if, know they've that. got they've got some great good stuff in there. One quick addendum. Uh, with your uh, under the radar, something else I'd love to throw in there. Uh, the caveat, I know they have an extra game uh, played at this moment, but I do want to say for Vanderbilt again, uh, currently 35th in the nation in total offense. That is one spot, one spot ahead of Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, and just one spot behind Sam Pittman or Kendall Bryles and the Arkansas offense. So you've got Arkansas, Vandy, and Ole Miss all kind of right there together, but just quick shout out to uh, to Clark Lee. The the party is going to come to a crashing halt uh, here this weekend on the road in Tuscaloosa, but currently thirty fifth in the nation in total offense, and they are ahead of the uh, the vaunted Lane Kiffin offense. And they've got a quarterback who also has played better than Anthony Richardson by the name of Michael Wright. If you haven't seen him play, uh, he doesn't have a ton of help, but he's legit. He's a freak. Uh, love the way he plays uh, plays football. He uh, really really good. Uh, they had another quarterback in there last week, though. AJ Swan, I guess, uh, right was out, but they still lit it up. Northern Illinois beat them 38 28. So on the road in DeKalb, Illinois, Vandy, Vandy plays road. They've gone to Hawaii and to Northern Illinois this year. They're very adventurous. Very so, very, very much so. Not adventurous enough to want to pick any of those games, uh, for Vanderbilt here, but you guys. Ready to do the pick five, or you you want to? I don't know. After last, want to take a week off? Yeah, I feel like I should take a paddle. Do I need to give five smacks? Do do you guys want me to give the full? uh, Go ahead, give them because this is historic. You know, uh, when I did my talk show, I used to have a contest, the Unfab Five Challenge, and and I would pick five games against the spread. And I am not lying; I routinely did between sixty and seventy percent annually. Of course, I had no money on it. It's always easier to pick these things when you have no money on it. Good thing you don't this year, Mike. Well, now, and again, I will stipulate, I'm going to make my one uh, excuse here. In that contest, I got to pick the five games I feel good about. In this contest, you pick Uh five games. We have no idea which ones you're going to pick. And I anguished over every one of them last week. I was mad at you for how difficult the choices were. (laughs) And I'm even madder at you now because for the first time, and I can't remember how long, I went donut zero zilch for five. I'm yeah, embarrassed. Known you for a long time, Mike. I, I yeah. don't recall. Right, you could ever happen. Yep. You you've been you've been around me during a number of football seasons. Like I don't go zero and five. This is not my thing. So uh, I feel as if I owe an apology to anybody who takes my, my pick seriously. I feel like I've shamed the Morgan name. I I feel <clears> like <throat> I've I've let a lot of people down. My mentors, my coaches. Uh, this is a deep and uh, sincere apology to all those I let down last week, and I only hope that uh, my performance this week can somewhat put uh, throw some shade 
on the debacle that I put together seven days ago. All right. Well, you got a chance, uh, you know, to go five and zero, oh, which would uh, which would write the ship for you, Mike. Three and seven so far, and uh, in the picks, uh, JC, two and eight. Mm. And eight. So do <laughs> not call. Oh, do not God. call the hotline. You will get nothing Ow. but a disconnected, uh, <laughs> disconnected <laughs> number for Mike and JC's betting picks. But let's start things off uh, with the the two teams that we were just uh, spending some time talking about a few minutes ago. Uh, the under the the unexpected undefeateds, the Duke Blue Devils, traveling all the way up to Lawrence, Kansas. Lance Leipold and his Jayhawks are a nine point favorites at home. The Jayhawks. Nine-point favorites at home. Uh, JC, let's start with you on that one. Against Duke? Against Duke. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with the Dukies. Uh, you know, you don't just march into, you know, Ryan Field and Evanston, Illinois. <laughs> Sorry. And and win. It sounded good. Like they did uh, and not be a good road team. But, no, I I, I like Riley Leonard. I, I think he's a good player. I think I think Oka's done a good job there. I mean, I, you sort of wonder when you – Cutcliffe moves on, like, you know, he's probably had the most sustained success there of anybody. Uh, you know, Spurrier obviously did, but he was only there three years. So, you know, you kind of wonder when they hired a defensive guy, but uh, he's gotten the best out of them so far. Um and I think I think Kansas will win the game, but I think that's too many points to give the Blue Devils. Of course, I'm probably wrong. So, just to let I'm you know. going. I'm going with Duke as well. Riley Leonard. Uh, they've also got uh, a stable of, of backs that are good. That are quality backs that have been there for uh, for a while. I don't know what to expect on Duke's defense against Kansas, but I think Duke will put some points on the board and keep it closer. All right, let's uh, let's stay with an ACC team and one that surprised a lot of folks last year. They get the early kickoff, uh, but a, a top 25 matchup as the Clemson Tigers head to Winston-Salem as seven-and-a-half-point favorites, seven-and-a-half-point favorites uh, over the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Uh, Mike, let's uh, start this one with you. Uh, like I already said, don't sleep on Wake. Uh, Hartman is back. It makes the, a ton of difference. They've got a, a receiver. And I just forgot his name. I just blanked on it. Art, Art, AT something or other. He's like six foot five. He's at a Lake Worth, Florida. He's an NFL guy. So they have a, a really good quarterback and an NFL wide receiver. And they're extremely well coached under Coach Clawson. I'll take Wake plus the points. Mm. Dabo has owned Wake Forest. Okay. Think about the last game Tommy Bowden coached at Clemson. Wake Forest 12, Clemson 7 in good old Winston Salem. Uh, in front of 15,000 Tiger fans. So uh, I, I Dabo has a way against these guys. Last year, you know, they came into Death Valley with that great offense and, and what they do. And, you know, Clemson beat them pretty good. They physically beat them up. I, I think that uh, Brent Venables really got Warren Ruggiero's number. Now Brent Venables is not there anymore. So we'll see what happens. But I'm going with Clemson to cover. Uh, and win the game going away like they always do. I, I think Clemson's challenge uh, is going to come with an NC State team that appears to have right righted the ship, at least on defense, uh, coming to Death Valley the following week. By the way, A.T. Perry is the receiver I was struggling yeah, with. he's good. If they're going to cover, he needs to get at least a touchdown or two. So go ahead and uh, show out A.T. Perry. All right, let's head uh, out west, a game that we mentioned earlier uh, during the Hot Handy Five, question number three in the Pac-12. Uh, 
Southern Cal going to Corvallis. Uh, JC, I know you mentioned how that's a difficult place to play in spite of how uh, well the Trojans have been kind of running away from people this year. Just six and a half point favorites on the road against the Beavers. JC, your thoughts? Should be a great atmosphere in, in, in Corvallis. I've actually been to that stadium before, guys, before they – I think they tore it down and built it back or something. But I went out there about uh, 10, 12 years ago and just walking around and, and, and saw it. Uh, I think Southern Cal will cover. Uh, you know, six and a half is not a spread that I would feel great about. Even with Oregon State being at home, stranger things have happened. I'm sure the Beavers will play good. But, I, you know, right now – until somebody stops the Trojans, uh, I, I don't see anybody stopping the Trojans. So I, I think I think I, it'll be kind of like that Stanford game where you know ten to thirteen points. I'll I'll concur and go Southern Cal. All right, uh, moving along here, let's uh, go to the uh, SEC for our next two picks in Dallas. It's Texas A and M and Sam Pittman's Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, in spite of all the uh, gnashing of teeth over uh, Jimbo Fisher and A&M the last couple of uh, weeks, they lost to App State, but they bounced back and and beat Miami with the resounding defensive performance. The Aggies, two-and-a-half-point favorites, two-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. Uh, Mike, let's, let's start with you. Uh, Aggies or Razorbacks? Oh, this is another one where, again, I struggle. Uh Arkansas. I'm taking Arkansas. I'll go. Uh, I think they'll win it pretty pretty handily. Uh, a A and M. It was kind of like, you know, the, the game against Miami was sort of like, you know, who's who's got lead the least of it. It's like it's like when you're sitting there and it's like, it's you know, to watch. In, in group therapy or something, and it's like who's got the least amount of problems here. Okay, you win. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what that game uh, Saturday night reminded me of. And, and well, I don't what care. amazes – go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't care that Bobby Petrino went in there and jumped all over them. Arkansas had, had two pretty big games to begin the year. Petrino's a heck of a coach, probably had some ball plays designed to kind of dissect them. But, you know, once they got behind 17, they outscored those guys 38-10 the rest of the way. And I'm – I don't want to read too much into a closer than expected game against a, a former coach that in spite of his issues, it is still one of the better play callers in the game. What amazed me about that AM Miami game, in addition to just how ugly a game it was and how inept both teams were on offense at times, it's just like, I know a chain is a track star. I know Anias Smith has shown himself to be a playmaker and I do believe they made the right change. Um, even though he didn't light it up, but it, Max Johnson's not going to beat you. Uh, and so he avoided the mistakes in that game that Miami didn't, and that was the difference. But I, I they're not as explosive as I thought. Like I, A&M, it, there's just something that's – and obviously some of this is going to fall on Jimbo and his and his offense, but they, they, they don't look the part – of a really explosive offense, which is what a lot of people thought they would look like this year. Yeah, uh, you know they don't they don't look like it uh, at all. And, and I'm actually I, I thought A and M was probably a year away, Mike. But I'll be honest, I thought the defense was going to take a step back. Losing Elko, uh, uh, Durkin's an excellent coordinator, and I thought they'd be pretty young. But man, they're trucking right along on that side of the ball. It's. Uh, you do notice the lack of explosiveness on, on offense, though, and uh, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
And All right, guys. A bunch of Miami fans who have never been to the campus that had neck tattoos that were in attendance were heartbroken, leaving College Station, going back to some remote town, and uh, still working at DeVry, trying to finish up that air conditioning repair certificate. There's nothing wrong with that. I'll tell you what. I, I When I have uh, my AC out, uh, I want a guy who's good, neck tattoo or not. I mean, if you can go ahead and get the Freon loaded up, that's a good thing in these hot summer months in the South. But, uh, yeah, the, saw a couple of shots of them on TV and – uh, the U ready to ready to produce another rap video and celebrate a, a big uh, at a conference win. It would have been the twenty seventh time that the U is back. Uh, they would have been declared had they won the game, but uh, but not just yet, not just yet. Yeah, first team in uh, at least uh, twenty two years that had twenty seven first downs, Mike, and uh, and no touchdowns in a game. Jeez. We're the Hurricanes. So that's is that it. the stat? I did not yeah. heard that. That's. Yeah. That's impressive. And no touchdowns. Well, they were ultra concerned. Like they were playing for field goals in a game where it, it didn't seem to make sense to do that. So, I mean, some of that does have to fall uh, on a a head coach, which again, Mario Cristobal has done a lot of good things and he seems like the perfect fit for the job. But uh, I I don't know if, if I was, I was back hosting a show in uh, South Florida and breaking down that game. I imagine he was he was getting a lot of, uh, let's just say, constructive and, and and critical reviews of some of the things that they did or did not do well in that game. All right. Well, we'll see uh, where the constructive criticism will fall uh, after uh, this coming weekend for Billy Napier and Florida. Uh, I'm sure it's not very good right now in the struggle to USF, but the final game that where game day is headed uh, down to Knoxville, Tennessee, 11 point home favorites uh, guys. Will Billy Napier be able to coach around Anthony Richardson's mistakes and keep it close and, and maybe continue to be a thorn in, in Tennessee side, or is this the turning point for the volunteers where they run away from their Eastern division rivals and uh, stake their claim to the division race this season? Florida's beaten Tennessee 25 out of the last 32 meetings. A lot of times it hadn't even mattered who's better at the end of the year. Uh, I think the Vols get them pretty good, though. Uh, I I think Florida's just okay on defense. I mean, how many yards did USF rush for the other night? Uh, What do you think Tennessee's going to do at home with that tempo that they run? Uh, You know, Tennessee had some players banged up last week a little bit against Akron, of all people, but – you know, I, I don't think Florida has the horses on offense or the explosiveness on offense or the ability on offense to hang with those guys. Not in Neyland. Uh, this just seems like it's going to be Tennessee's time uh, to get another, get a, you know, the, only their eighth win in this rivalry in the last 33 years. Yeah, it does kind of have a come up and feel to it, doesn't it? You mentioned that 25 out of 32. You know, in those 25 games, how many times did Tennessee have the better quarterback? and better wide receiving core. Well, that's what they have. And Hendon Hooker and Cedric Wilson, like you you stack up their playmakers versus Florida's, and there's no question Tennessee has the edge. You didn't normally say that in those 25 out of 32. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee's defense will be put on trial. There's no question. Like if you want to really prove to me, Tennessee, that you are, say, potentially even the third best team in the league this year, because we all know who the top two are, uh, then you've got to you've got to go up against a Florida team that's reeling on offense, and you got to shut them down. Now you do that, and you're really making a statement. Just beating Florida at home doesn't make a huge statement to me because I I just don't think Florida's very good. Uh, I haven't 
from the start of the season. So I, 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 the number's high, like it's first I've seen that number and it did kind of like, whoa, 11, really? But really when the more I break it down and think about it, it, it's about right. I'll take Tennessee. Yeah, I would take Tennessee to cover. I mean, I was actually expecting about maybe 13 or 14, and that may be where the line ends up, to be honest, guys. So, I, yeah. uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't like the Gators' chances this weekend. But in this game, if you're going to, if, if there's a, a surprise that's going to happen, guys, it, it's going to be Florida surprising you because, uh, Tennessee, even when we think they're going to win this one, uh, one exception, Butch Jones came back from a million points down in 2016, I think, to win it. Uh, up there, that's the only one they've had. So that's uh, that's it. But that was the whole. Butch well, they Jones were champions era. of life. Yeah, the, the champions of life. When he was there, they tended to like. You'd be watching a game, and they'd be getting the crap kicked out of them, and then, then they come back and win. Or you'd be watching a game, and they're kicking the crap out of somebody. Somebody else comes back and wins. It's, it's kind of crazy, but uh, yeah. So that's kind of what I think uh, about this game. I think it's just Tennessee's time to go win big. All right, and only one game difference again for the second straight week. Uh, the Wake Forest and Clemson game, the only one you guys disagree on. Oh, so I'm, I'm relying on the Demon Deacons to keep it close. I'm relying on Sam uh, Hartman to put on a uh, an absolute show, which he's capable of doing. Although that Clemson defense, he's not he's not gonna he's not gonna light them up. I just I don't know if I'm confident enough in Clemson's offense. Clemson has not looked good. Like they have not looked super du- super duper the first no. three games. They've won pretty handedly, but uh, it's Georgia Tech, it's Furman, and it's La Tech. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I look. We're, we're finally now turning the corner for the teams that have been um, have been cream puff central. Uh, we're about to start seeing some uh, some more difficult matchups, and you know, thirty three undefeated teams right now. I mentioned that like that that number is going to be cut in half probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, real quick, UCF night ninety four. Your American Athletic Conference update. Well, UCF's taking on Georgia Tech. Uh, who knows uh, what the coaching situation will be for the Yellow Jackets by the time that we sign off. By the time this game is played, uh, UCF two and one and. Uh, Night 94 wants you to know they had a great bounce back win against FAU. John Reese Plum, Plumley, the former Ole Miss quarterback, had over 300 yards passing and 100 yards rushing. Uh, Cincinnati versus Indiana. Cincinnati at home against an undefeated Indiana squad at 3-0. That's actually a pretty good matchup. SMU, TCU, Houston versus Rice. And uh, USF, which is probably still saying, how did we not win that game in Gainesville? Taking mm. on Louisville, Louisville is one and two. Ole Miss uh, will blow out Tulsa, so they'll be four and zero. Oh. Uh, by the way, Ole Miss and Kentucky are probably going to be meeting the following week in Oxford, both four and zero. Oh. That's one of those under the radar, like sneaky good matchups in the SEC. Uh, Tulane undefeated. Tulane's three and zero. Oh. Jeez, Tulane is three and zero. Taking on Southern Miss, Temple, UMass, Memphis, North Texas. Uh, ECU battles Navy. Navy's 0-2. I feel bad for uh, Coach N. Um, they were they were really rolling there for a while. He's a really good man and a great coach, but I can only imagine. It seems like all the service academies not named Air Force are down this year, and uh, usually with that, I mean, that's that's bigger than just the coaching situation. There's a lot of things that go into the enrollment and everything else with the service academies. But I, I hate to see Navy not be good again because they were a lot of fun to watch and they were a, a great story 
for a time there in college football. I guess that does it for us, guys. Any mm-hmm. any closing thoughts? Any salutations for either one of you? I see head shaking. No, I see. Yeah. No, he mentioned no. Tulane. I wanted to mention Willie Fritz. Good yeah, coach. Good Under coach with a good uh-huh. staff. They 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 beat Kansas State seventeen to ten. Yeah, and K State's yeah. been pretty good. I mean, they, they wall, wall up Missouri. <laughs> you know, I mean, I I don't know what happened, but the helmets in that game were pretty cool too. Old school. Uh, the, the the green wave man and then they had the old school wildcat that that was that was cool but you know if you can't say it, you're probably a little ticked off you, know, you throw back helmets and all that and then you mm-hmm. lose mm, that sucks great great fan base over there in the little yeah. apple mm-hmm. we'll just say uh one more shout out to jeffrey marson the uh appalachian state student play-by-play guy for the holy mother meatballs you really like that. That's a, that's a t-shirt right in the happen holy absolutely. mother meatballs absolutely. print that out mass produce it uh, right there with the uh, J.C. and Morgan T-shirts, which are still being printed, I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. In a, uh, we got them. Secret destination. Uh, They're in the happening. same warehouse where all the Indiana Jones artifacts. <laughs> exactly. That's it. They're pretty, we're being uh, produced in the Temple of Doom, as I understand it. Uh, good stuff, guys. We, we Again, we went over time. We just went a lot, of, a lot to discuss today. We'll try and keep it a little bit shorter next week. Uh, as always, appreciate everybody that has uh, been downloading this. We are in the thousands and we continue to grow because you folks out there uh, seem to like something that we're doing. So we are quite thankful for that. For JC, for Michael, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. We'll see you next week on JC and Morgan.